just want to say one thing. Happy Valentine's Day. I don't think y'all heard, man. I just want to say Happy Valentine's Day. Can y'all dig that? Hello. Welcome to Question Block, Sexy Poets Edition. I'm Alex, or Wires of NYC, and joining me is... Aerialist. How's it going, Aerialist? It's great. This episode is coming out just before Valentine's Day. So what are we talking about today? Cunning linguists. I guess we realized as we started researching the biography of various famous poets, they have very interesting, and in many cases scandalous, love lives. They weren't just nerds writing at a desk about crazy dramatic love stories. They themselves were experiencing it. True. So we're dishing the gossip on the personality behind the pen. Who do you want to talk about first? Have you ever heard of Sappho? I have heard a lot about Sappho. What do you know? My understanding is Sappho is the first recorded lesbian, the first historical. By <laughs> recorded, you mean someone actually recorded and that her, her writing and that her writing survived. Only some of it, actually, only fragments. All we have left of her are fragments. Just a couple of verses. Yeah, but they're really good. Any, any full poems? No. How do they know she existed? Other poets and Greek authors that she was known as the poetess or the 10th muse. Oh, that's serious praise. Yeah, she, oh. was, she was dope. But they didn't just copy down her work, which would have been helpful. I guess we do have like, because Greek epic poems were epic. So we have very long poems, but there, there were more and they burned in the Library of Alexandria. Oh, that's a shame. And she lived on the Isle of Lesb Lesbos. <laughs> okay. So that's where the term lesbian comes from. Yes. And then I think the people on the Isle of Lesbos got mad about that. And they were like, only people from the Isle of Lesbos are lesbians. <laughs> like the Champagne region of France. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if they were straight. Only, that, only gay yeah. women from this particular yeah. Mediterranean isle very can proud. be called lesbians. Very proud lesbians. Uh, the others are just homosexual women. So there's this, actually this is not really a fragment. This is like kind of a longer poem. Uh, the, ode, the Ode to Aphrodite is basically about Sappho's asking Aphrodite to come help her bone this chick. And it, it's got like very contemporary vibes to it. Because... I don't know about you, but like there's definitely been times where I've been like... Some things are timeless. There's def has There's been times for me where I've been like, dear whoever is out there, like greater power, like... Everybody dear talks Cupid. about Cupid, yeah. just like our intro song. So I'll just read the last like couple of... Give me a few stanzas. She that fain would fly, she shall quickly follow. She that now rejects, yet with gifts shall woo thee. She that heeds thee not shall soon love to madness. Love thee, the loth one. Come to me now, goddess, and release me from distress and pain. And all my distracted heart would seek. Do thou, once again, fulfilling, still be my ally. Nice. So I like that she's like, she who, who's like not too into me, she's going to fall for me. The loth one. Right? I don't are, know that word. Are, are you the loft one? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I don't know what a loth, a loth lover. <laughs> a long loth lover. <laughs> yeah, Sappho just had Probably. a lisp. That's all it was. Yeah, good poem. Yeah. That's timeless. Is she also, I think her best fragment is 
you burn me. Oh, yeah. I've seen that posted on Instagram. A picture of a singed post-it note. Yeah, and also those are the same people who are like, life is about balance. <laughs> I'm an influencer. Sappho, the first influencer. DM me for sponsorship opportunities. Yeah, that was that was what all the rest of her poems were about. Yeah. She, she's pretty dope. Let's move on to our next gay poet. Have you heard of someone named Shakespeare? What? But Shakespeare was married, famously, and in love with Anne Hathaway. From the Princess Diaries? <laughs> yes, exactly. So he probably wasn't in love with her. He wasn't in love with his wife. Correct. Okay. He married. He got married when he was 18 and she was 26, which is like the equivalent of a 21-year-old like male getting married to like you're trying to do the like age a fifty-year-old or sixty-year-old okay. woman. Women today. aged. Women yeah. aged faster in those days, I suppose. Well, they started trying to set you up and like put you on dates when you, I think you were sixteen. Yeah. And the legal age was twenty-one, actually. Weirdly, like for marriage and yeah. whatnot. So if you were twenty-six, you. You're you were a, just like 10 years and people were like, no, people were swiping now. left on you okay. for 10 straight years. And because Shakespeare was 18, oh, also Anne was three months pregnant when they got married. By the way, if I knew an 18 year old and he married his pregnant 26 year old girlfriend who like had a career and was wealthy, I'd be like, that dude's cool as hell. She didn't have a career and she oh. was not wealthy. Oh, I thought she was going to be like a- Oh, like a sugar a, mama? Like she'd support him. Yeah. He, Shakespeare is like a really good with the pen. Uh, and he found like a sugar mama to support his no. playwriting habit. No, he hadn't even really started to write. His, his dad was kind of like a renaissance man. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, he had all these like businesses and these little like scams and stuff like that. And Shakespeare was from, he was like from an okay family. He was an entrepreneur. His father was in. But he had to, so because he was 18, he knocked up this chick when she was 26 he had to then get his father's permission to marry, which would have been very embarrassing for him at the time. There are some people who are like, oh my God, he must have been so in love with her because no one else loved her. She was trash, but like he found something in her. Oh my God. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, people do not think that. They think that somehow she entrapped him. <laughs> I feel like it was like a basketball wives like situation. But he didn't have money yet either. No. He wasn't famous. But he probably wrote her some well, good poems, I bet, in that, like, and she was like, I should lock this guy down. There's, like, no poems written to her, like, at all. And he doesn't even leave her, like, his best bed. He leaves her the second bed when he dies. So he was still married to her when he died. He never divorced. True, but he did kind of, like, run away from home and stuff like that. And he was gay. He was into it all except for her. They had a, a daughter, right? And then there are these, like, this is, like, 1500s, uh, somewhere in there. And there are these like lost years in there. A couple of years where like nothing's really happening. And then he turns up in London, which is like away from where she is basically living with his mom and dad. <laughs> they were living like with Shakespeare's mom and dad. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare was a small town boy. He was from like Stoke-on-Trent or something like that. Yeah. And he abandoned his family. Stratton'sworth. <laughs> and moved to uh, London. Yes. And he moved to London to be a playwright, which was seen as a pretty lowly profession because you had to leave your family. You were hanging out with all dudes because like only dudes were allowed to be in the plays at the time. And he joins this group of theater bros at 
the Globe Theater. Eventually, they become like the team of King James. So they be eventually become the Kingsmen. And he starts to write a couple of plays and then everyone realizes that his plays are like the best ones. Then he like goes back, ha I guess has sex with his wife like one more time. And they have two twins. And one of the, <laughs> one of the twins' names is Hanlet. This is not quite Hamlet. It sounds like you're trying to say Hamlet. Omelet. It's like omelet, yeah. That's his only boy. He dies at 11. People think that that's why the play Hamlet is written. So there's a couple of little interesting oh, okay. things. Yeah. There are all these sonnets that people don't, a Shakespeare people like don't know if they were actually meant to be published. And they're all written to a fair boy and then a dark lady. Oh, they're not written to his wife. No, not, not none of the, there's literally like, the only thing about his wife is when he dies and it's literally like, I'm going to give you our second bed. For those who are not super into Shakespeare, the context that we should give is that Shakespeare wrote something like two dozen plays that are world-renowned and still like perform today. But Shakespeare also was one of the greatest love poem writers ever. So he wrote 130-some sonnets that are regarded as some of the best love poems ever written. Can I tell you about one of the gayest ones? Yeah, I think you might know it, actually. So, Sonnet 18. Have you ever heard of Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's yeah, Day? it's a fantastic sonnet. You know that's written to a dude. I did not. Yep. Because he specifically talks about, in summer, it's cool because you're hot. But even if, like, it becomes fall or winter, as you get older, I'll still be in love with you. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's also in Clueless. There's a little snippet of in Clueless. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May. And summer's lease hath too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines. And often is his gold complexion dimmed. Hmm? Well, I thought he was just personifying winter as a hymn. No. Or, or summer as a hymn. It's it's to the fair. There's like a fair youth that he writes most of them to, and then the the dark lady. And a lot of people think that the dark lady refers to this famous prostitute in London named Black Lucy or Black Luce. And then <laughs> yeah, nice. So she was okay. yeah, she was like I'm gonna say more because that's what he. Yeah. Said. That's like that was the Elizabethan term for someone who was like darker, right? Moorish. Because you want to so, see more of them. Right. Exactly. So a lot of his poems were dedicated to her and then this like fair youth. And all the plays basically, they were acted out by men. So it was just like a lot of like male on male action. As you action. said, <laughs> even the kissing. Even especially the kissing. And if you look at all of his love plays or any like... Like the only like successful marriage is Lady Macbeth, Lady and Lord Macbeth. And they're kind of, <laughs> you know, like if you think about they're it. They're successful at crime. Like yes. they don't, exactly. They, they're they like working together. Yeah, they're very Bonnie and Clyde, I suppose. But in a lot of other cases, I guess either the men have to be cruel and dominant to their wives or the men get cucked or they like, it's going to be a good relationship like Romeo and Juliet, but then they kill themselves. Right. I mean, oh, there's this Mr. W.H. The sonnets are dedicated to a Mr. W.H. And oh. it's believed to be the fair youth. They think it might have been his one of his patrons um, named Henry. 
or it could have been the Earl of Southampton or the Earl of Pembroke, of Penisbroke. Earl of Pembroke. Yeah. It's a bad name for a patron. Right, for right. For a, the, well, I mean, maybe his pen broke, so he had to use Shakespeare's. Oh. People often point out the gold earring, too. But that was just like a fashion. It was. It came from pirates. Yeah. You know, because he had like the... That was a style He had the, the daddy earring. Wow, that sounds very scandalous. I don't know how great the scholarship is behind those claims, but I'm going to choose to believe it. There's so many... If you If you look up like reasons why Shakespeare was gay. There's so many conspiracies. People are like, oh yeah, if you, t- the last 14 lines of a Hamlet um, basically spells out, I am a homosexual. I do not believe that. I'm looking <laughs> at this and it totally is like. It does spell it out though. But they're just highlighting random words. Th- those aren't actually lines. That's ridiculous. Okay, this article's garbage. Yeah. The fact that they present that. Yeah, Achilles has a gay lover. They're just saying that various characters in his plays are gay. That doesn't make him gay. Well, there. I mean, it starts out with the the ones that I already went over. So, where did you get this from? Gay, gay, gaynews.com. Gaystarnews.com. It's like World Star. Yeah. Okay, star. Breaking news. All right. Well. So Shakespeare, the ultimate daddy. We'll present this as a theory. Trapped by yeah. his wife. <laughs> okay. Well, who could be even more of a sad boy? And more dramatic than Shakespeare. I don't know. Who? Lord Byron. Oh, you mean more of a Byronic hero? <laughs> yes. Fun fact, the word What does Bi- Byronic hero mean? Means sad boy, fuck boy, sad boy, twilight boy. Yeah, it's sort of boy. like a young man of great talent who is world weary and sort what? of depressed because he's over it. With a V-neck. Yeah, and he's very... He's Greasy just hair. so sad with the state of the world, but loves beauty and is, really appreciates the arts. A, a lot of these aestheticians, <laughs> aestheticians, it, it all goes back to this like Greek um, platonic ideal, you know? Because like we start to see with like the Victorians, the pre-Victorians, like this love of beauty and finer things. The Elizabethans, I think they just all loved, they they were just gorgeous and they didn't even know it. But like after that, you start to see this like hedonistic love of like velvet and bathrobes and stuff like that. It was in, in many ways, not a backlash, but a counter to the Enlightenment because the Enlightenment emphasized truth and reason and not trusting the church and dogmatism or emotions for things and instead trying to logic it out. And so then the the Victorians in response were like, no, but I still, I have to follow my heart. And I'm going to wear a V-neck to show it off. <laughs> Lord Byron, the Byronic hero, he was, he. I keep saying V-neck shirt because he did actually invent the V-neck shirt. I think they had button-up shirts at that time. He was the first to unbutton. <laughs> okay. He was the first to not use them. Yes. <laughs> They're like, those buttons are worth two weeks salary each. They're very valuable. He's like, nope. Don't need it. So Byron was a poet rock star. He, he had, was. He wrote, a, like I guess, an epic poem that was, that was quite long that was published as sort of a, a book, pamphlet, uh, when he was like 18 or 20, like just out of high school. And it was a huge sensation and became like the number one hit poem of the time. And so he was an, an overnight success story and invited to all the classiest parties in London and got to tour and travel the grand to read his poems. Tour. And then he had as much money as he wanted so he could then just pursue i guess a life of more traveling 
at the end of his life, he got more like he chilled out. He got a little bit more like political and like went to go fight for Greece. But he was he right. was such a rock star. He brought a pet bear to school with him to like hang out in the classroom. He also had a lot of crazy girlfriends, but he also was into he was kind of like a pansexual. Like he was just into anything. He experimented a lot when he went to Cambridge and also like on this grand tour that I talked about. There are like a bunch of like letters and stuff. I think his sexiest poem though is She Walks in Beauty. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climbs and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and in her eyes, thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. I feel like Train's Drops of Jupiter kind of rips off. <laughs> I think so <laughs> too, right? Lyric, that line. Yeah, that lyric. So if Byron was this uh, quintessential like romantic poet and lover, both in his personal life and in his writing, now we'll go to the other extreme, uh, to a guy who was just sort of very ill-fated and unlucky in love, and nothing really worked out for him, and he kind of bumbled around and then also died famous, but didn't do too well personally. Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, great. So he's an example also of a sad boy, although he was like, as, as we know from Poe's writing, and The Raven, he was very goth, but he got famous very late in life. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe didn't really take off until The Raven was published, and he wrote poems and like published them himself or found a few wealthy patrons to pay for like short runs of his poetry, but barely made it a living as a writer and was this kind of unhealthy, ridiculous figure wearing like a, a very like rundown old suit walking around New York City or Baltimore and then published The Raven when he was 36 years old and then died when he was 40. That's so sad. Didn't he? He really did love his wife and she was very sickly too, right? His wife was very sickly and died of tuberculosis, although he married his wife Virginia. when he was 26 and she was 13. Yeah, his, puts, his, his, puts she a different was his spin cousin, on right? Yeah, his cousin, Virginia Clem. He was twice her age, though. And she was 13. That's cute. That's disturbing. Yes. Uh, they were married for 11 years, so she died at 24 from tuberculosis. That's crazy. She died before Shakespeare's wife even... Even married him. Even married him. Yes. That was sad. He was devoted to his wife. And then he later fell for some other women who just were not that interested in him. There was another goth poet named Sarah Helen Whitman, not related to Walt Whitman. And he he like fell for her because she was goth. She wore uh, a necklace that had a coffin on it. That's so cool. She was original Hot Topic. She lived in Providence, Rhode Island. They wrote letters back and forth. But then because of Poe's drinking and erratic behavior and that her mom absolutely hated him, the relationship just didn't it didn't last. It didn't take off. And then he resumed a relationship with his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Royster. His death was under very suspicious circumstances. So when he was 40 years old, he'd been drinking heavily. He was probably like really depressed throughout a lot of his life, which is understandable. Uh, and he was just found wandering the streets of I think it was Baltimore where he died or it might have been New York. Um, but he was just found wandering the streets like in a daze totally out of his mind. And so they took him to the hospital and he died like a day later. And so there was a theory that he had been involved in like some blackmailing racket or he had been kidnapped or someone had forced him to vote a bunch of times, like one of the political machines and just kept him drunk for like 48 hours. But whatever it was, that did him in. So his his cutest love poem, I think, is Annabelle Lee. Yes, that is a very sweet love poem that 
didn't get too much recognition when it was published, but it is very cute. Do you have it? Yes, I do. Should I read the whole thing or just a little bit? We'll go with the first verse. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived, whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. And then spoiler alert, Annabel Lee dies. And I'll read you the the ending of it. Uh. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of beautiful Annabelle Lee and the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulchral, 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 what is that? Tomb. Oh, in her tomb there by the sea, (laughs) in her tomb surrounding the sea. Oh, that's why he said he he used a thesaurus (laughs) because he's, Ends it with two. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was written about Virginia Clem, his his thirteen year old bride. So it's so sad, but it's, it's very it's so goth too. I can just imagine him wearing like a stri- black and white striped sh- shirt and like an ill fitting suit. There's a little aside in the Raven too, which is right like classic gothic horror with this man being taunted by a raven, but he he looks upon the bust of his departed wife Eleanor. Oh, yeah. At some point, the the like narrator who's narrating this poem. So that's Poe. So it goes both ways, folks. Sometimes you're really unlucky in love, and that inspires you to write great love poems. This is true. Yeah. So if Edgar Allan Poe, I like that we're jumping to extremes here, right? If Edgar Allan Poe is this sort of rundown shambles of a man who's alcoholic, tell us about a really great dandy who's like a stylish alcoholic. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. So he's the quintessential Victorian. This is now late 1800s. Yeah, he was a, what would you call it? An aesthetic. An aestheticist. An aesthetic. Right. Which is one who appreciates aesthetics. An aesthetician is one who makes you aesthetically appealing. <laughs> aestheticist appreciates aesthetics. He appreciated beauty and romance. Velvet. Yeah, the, I don't know, earthly pleasures, I guess. Elderberry but, martinis. So perhaps also a bit of a hedonist? Yes. Okay. And he actually, he was married and he had, he had a kid, some kids. And he didn't, again, his, his work didn't, it didn't really start like blowing up until later and then until after his death because he got canceled for like a short amount of time because he, he went to a white collar prison for being homosexual. Yeah. It was illegal in England at the time. Yeah, it's interesting because he was actually a very, he was a very tall and and he was like six feet tall, very, very strong. He was kind of like a daddy and he, you know, like a a lot of people who um, criticized his love of the finer things like in college, he could just beat them up or he could yell at them like he wasn't afraid of his lifestyle. So he kind of went, he kind of went into this relationship with, this, this guy, Boise, Boise's father was the Earl of something. He kind of went into their relationship with the same way. Like he was like, I'm proud of what I'm doing. I'm not going to apologize for it. That was a big mistake, though, because Boise's dad was a pretty homophobic politician. And uh, he would he would sort of like torment Oscar Wilde. Like he would he would uh, come to his his readings or his plays and sort of like heckle him and he 
would threaten him. And Oscar Wilde eventually was like, oh, I'm going to actually sue you for libel because you're you're being super rude to me. And then... Well, Oscar Wilde claimed that uh, he had no proof that Oscar Wilde was gay and was just attacking him. And then that kind of backfired because then the guy went and found proof that Oscar Wilde had been hooking up with his son. Yes, his son, Lord Alfred Douglas, who uh, Wilde calls him Boise, and Douglas's father is the Marquis of Queensberry. He's also like a famous boxer as well. So Oscar Wilde made the mistake of like lending his jacket to someone who wasn't that, who I guess, I guess was like a bad friend and found all the letters between him and Boise in the pocket. And they're very sweet. They're very like romantic and sweet letters. And apparently Boise was like demon twink. Like he, he, uh, Oscar Wilde would take care of him when he was sick. And then when Oscar Wilde got sick from taking care of Boise, Boise was like, I'm just going to go out and drink. Like he was the worst. And so anyway, during this trial, there was, there was like a break and, and it's thought that the jury was trying the jury and maybe like even the, the judge in the court, they were giving him, they were giving Oscar Wilde a moment to flee to some place where he wouldn't be like, like Paris or something where he wouldn't be. Yeah, but that's no fun. They have to like, you know, you have a successful literary career writing in English in England. And then you have to, and he probably, I think he visited New York as well. Like, and yeah, and then Uh, you have to escape. We'll talk about leave for Paris. His visit to New York, to New York. His visit to New York where he met up with Walt Whitman and they probably had sex. So I can read you something like one of the letters to Boise. One of the, do you want to hear it? Because it's, it's really cute. Yeah. Do you want to say something real quick about him? Anything that you know about Wilde? In addition to writing The Portrait of Dorian Gray, which is a great kind of short novel, and he wrote a number of plays and he's probably most famous in popular culture for his witticisms because he has a bunch of great, clever little quips and one-liners. I guess this is a line from The Importance of Being Earnest, right, where he's like, to lose one parent is a tragedy, but to lose two, my darling, that's just carelessness. Yes, that's yep, a handbag, Mr. Worthington. Another of his quips, he's like, I may be laying in the gutter, madame, but I'm looking at the stars. Yes. I love that. And he had a bunch of others about like style and fashion. And he was very much a dandy. He was like a fashion maven. So he had custom tailored suits. He was like a handsome, imposing, like tall guy. Yeah, look up, up pictures of him. He's he's styling. Okay, so he wrote, here's like one of the letters that was found. It sucks too, because this was like used as evidence against him. Like how could, when I read it, it would be like, how could you use this as like evidence against anyone's like character? My own dear boy. Death and love seem to walk on either hand as I go through life. They are the only things I think of. Their wings shadow me. London is a desert without your dainty feet. Write me a line and take all my love now and forever. Always and with devotion, but I have no words for how I love you, Oscar. That's very sweet. So sweet. He tried to, I guess his, his um lawyer was like, oh no, like, you know, they're poets. They're just writing poetry things to each other. Yeah, you'd be like, we were practicing for one of my plays. We're trying to get in character. Yeah, but that didn't... It's because Boise was such a jerk and he didn't really care. He was like a lot younger. Like I said, demon twink. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like, oh, I don't care. I just just don't want my dad to cut me off. So Wilde was sentenced... I think it was just two years in prison, but it was hard labor. And 
he caught like some disease and it, and it really did like affect his health. So by the time he got out of prison, like two years later, he had lost like 40 pounds and was like sickly. I think he had lost most of his fortune. He had lost all of his like ability to really produce or publish stuff at that point. Uh, so it was kind of more or less the end of it. He lived a few more years, but it was like, it was very sad. Yeah, just kind of sickly and he died a few years later. Yeah, and then he got uncanceled and now we love his work. Now he is celebrated. Yes. Well, since you just told us about an amazing gay poet, let's talk about a lesbian writer. Okay. Virginia Woolf. Oh, who's afraid of her? Do you know why? what that's referring to, that title, by the way? Because that's some book of like analysis about or political commentary, I think, on Virginia Woolf. I don't know what that's referring to. Oh, it's it's because she was like a brilliant writer and a very intelligent, like independent woman. Oh, so people were afraid to read her writing because they they thought it would destroy the patriarchy. Yeah, I think she. I'm sure she was very anti-patriarchy. She uh, went to King's College in London, and between King's College and where, which I think was a women's college, and uh, Cambridge was nearby, there was this like intellectual crowd. So they were the I don't know, the hipsters of their day, called the Bloomsbury Group. And they uh, shocked the, uh, the austere strictness of Victorian society. So the majority of the members of this group were homosexual or bisexual. And what they all had in common was they believed that like art was just of critical importance and should be a major component of, of like any person's life. We talked about him a little in the finance episode. The economist John Maynard Keynes was also a member of the Bloomsbury Group. Yes. Wasn't Virginia Woolf married to a man? She was married to a man. She's most likely a lesbian. She might have been bisexual. However, she claimed multiple times in her life and told her husband she was not at all sexually attracted to men. And he was like cool with it, though, because he was part of this group. He was like, that's fine. <laughs> He's like, I'm married to a queer. <laughs> I think he was OK with it. Yes, they they specifically talked about it a lot. Yeah, what was her husband's name was... Uh, something Leonard. Uh, so she told him outright she was not attracted to him, but that she did love him. He proposed numerous times and she finally agreed to marry him. And as far as they know, she only took female lovers. She claimed she had an aversion to sex with men because she was sexually abused by her like stepbrothers uh, when she was a kid. I don't know that, I think she more just needed like a reason for it. She never like denied being attracted to women, but she maybe felt she had to justify it rather than just saying that, like, no, I just am attracted to women. Professionally, they supported each other's writing. They were both writers, and they both were, like, much more successful working together as a team. So I guess it was maybe a marriage of sort of professional convenience as well, and they did seem to really like each other. It's like a beard, a beard marriage. Yeah, they stayed together, like, for their entire lives and loved each other deeply, even though... Yeah, they formed a publishing house together. So yeah, her her most famous lover was Vita. Vita Sackville West, who is the, I have this like thing with with all their letters, and it says that they met at a dinner party. Vita was a an a renowned author, aristocrat, and sapphist. Nice. And she, Virginia wrote in her diary, she didn't think much of Vita's conversation, but she did think very highly of her legs. There's a bunch of stuff from Virginia's diary over here, um, like in her diary. I like I like her and I like being with her and the splendor. She shines in the grocer's shop with a candlelit radiance, stalking on 
stalking on legs like beech trees, pink glowing, grape clustered, pearl hung. Anyhow, she found me incredibly dowdy. No woman cared less for personal appearance. <laughs> and then uh, there's, <laughs> so this is a letter from Virginia to Vita. She goes, yes, yes, yes. I do like you. I'm afraid to write the stronger word. Oh, that's cute. Right? It is cute. Yeah, so they were together for a decade. And then she also had affairs with Sybil Colfax, Lady Adeline Morell, and Mary Hutchinson. Good old Mary Hutchinson. They believe that she fell in love with Madge Simmons, who was the wife of one of her uncles. I was going to say the Marge Simpsons. So it's like sister. The, her like aunt, aunt-in-law. Like imagine you're like visiting your uncle to hang out and you hook up with his wife. That's such an own. Yeah. Yeah. Virginia Woolf was, she was getting she was a out wolf. there. Yeah. She was a wolf she, for, indeed. for puss. Okay. Yeah. So she was, uh, had, had a nice professional business relationship with her husband, but very successful professionally and sexually as a lesbian. Is that what the hours, the hours is about her or no? Haven't seen it. The one where, Don't uh, know. Nicole Kidman has a long nose. Yeah. I think it's about Virginia. She had a very distinct like portrait, like profile. She had a, a very distinct profile pic. All right. So now we're into the 1900s. So things should get especially spicy with our 1900s. <laughs> Those spicy 1900s. Poets and writers. This is what I was going to talk about when we were talking about Oscar Wilde is that Whitman, Whitman was just like a great guy. Like he was just great because he felt really strong about a lot of, he was anti-war. Um, yeah. Famous pacifist and and homosexual wrote some of the greatest poems about New York City. He did, yeah. Written. And because you in in America, there were a lot of the, like crazier problems than homosexuality. It kind of wasn't. It didn't have. It wasn't like um, punished in the same way as in Ireland and like where Wild was. Yeah, what you're alluding to, which we'll, we'll also get to with James Baldwin, is that like because racism was such like that's yeah a massive <laughs> issue. I didn't want to say it, and was like kind of the the core of a lot of like America's civil rights movement, the civil rights movement, and ending Jim Crow in the South, and like school integration, all that was like the major defining issue in America's civil rights movement. And there was a lot of debate uh, and kind of positioning uh, for also like gay rights at the time. But in many cases, like James Baldwin, for example, kind of like didn't make his sexuality a big part of his push for like equality. He was much more focused on race. And he even put it as he was like, because he had to team up with homophobic white people uh, who were also like pro-civil rights uh, for black people. Yeah. Uh, he was like, I guess I'll, you, I'll pick my battles. This, Yep. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because like some of the things that I read were like, his uh, Walt woman sexuality is debated, and I'm like, it really shouldn't be. Like, it's pretty clear that he he had a lot of like male lovers, and his poem "Leaves of Grass" is like very gay and was considered like pornographic. And it's also in the AIDS memorial. Yeah, in, I've on seen the that. in the ground, you can like walk and 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 read it. At the AIDS memorial at St. Vincent's Triangle. Yes, at Seventh uh, Avenue and Twelfth Street. Women's funny because when you see photos of him, he has this massive beard and like huge, like bushy, like gray white hair. So he looks like like old man winter or something. So you don't really think of him as a very sexual person. <laughs> I, there's I'm looking at all these pictures. I guess of, he was a daddy. 
I'm yeah. He the, still the, had a beard in those photos. There's yeah. some like really cute pictures of him with Peter Doyle, who is like a bus operator who he had this like very intimate relationship with who's like one of the loves of his life. He there's a quotation by he's like, I put my hand on his knee and like we understood like the feeling was mutual. It was like so cute. But it's just like him and this guy, Peter Doyle, and they're wearing trench coats and sort of they're sitting like opposite to each other and it's very cute also when um oscar wilde was on his tour he said that they like they wanted him to come to new york because they wanted him to bring the aesthetic movement to america and he was like i'll only go if i can meet the Walt- aestheticist the aestheticist movement. Sure. movement and he said i'll only go if i can meet walt whitman, <laughs> walt whitman. and then they met in a hotel room for like a while and Oscar Wilde is quoted. He he said like his kiss is still on my lips or something like that. Okay. Yeah. That there there you go for your vintage erotic fan fiction. That's cute because Whitman has all these a number of his poems about like carousing around New York City too and like I think drinking on the ferry going between Manhattan and Brooklyn uh, is like this quintessential scene and I when reading it I imagined him is like a Williamsburg hipster with a bunch of his friends drinking, but it was probably him and a bunch of him and a bunch of boys like all hanging out. Yeah. And sun sunbathing too. He was like popularized sunbathing in the nude. Yeah. I sometimes think of him as like the guy who's very pro nudity, who's like in his in his fifties or sixties, who like it's always the people who shouldn't be nudists are yeah. like into being nudists. Just like hips forward on a <laughs> Yeah. In Staten Island somewhere, like I don't know, standing with a with a wide brim hat. That's how yeah, I wide brim hat, just belly hanging yep, over, yep, over yeah. his his flaccid <laughs> penis. Wow, we're poets. Yeah, his what quivering member is? <laughs> Should I read from? Yeah, I celebrate myself and what I assume you shall assume for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. I loaf and invite my soul. I lean and loaf at my ease, observing a spear of summer grass. Houses and rooms are full of perfumes. The shelves are crowded with perfumes. I breathe the fragrance myself, and I know it and I like it. The distillation would intoxicate me also, but I shall not let it. The atmosphere is not perfume. It has no taste of the distillation. It is odorless. It is in my mouth forever, and I am in love with it. I will go to the bank by the wood and become undisguised and naked. I am mad for it to be in contact with me. Can you imagine if I just read the entire... The entire leaves of oh, it's, it's a couple thousand words. Oh, it's really long. Yeah, it's it's a lot of leaves of grass. You should you should read the whole thing. Okay, let's well, so now we're into the beat generation. Wait, are we going to talk about Langston Hughes? So Langston Hughes be, in in the the twenties, there was a lot of like marijuana smoking and like speakeasy going and experimenting, and so a lot of the the artists in that time were queer or like experimenting and Langston Hughes was one of them. And I'll just read from desire a poem by him. Desire to us was like a double death, swift dying of our mingled breath, evaporation of an unknown, strange perfume between us quickly in a naked room. Kind of like Walt Whitman's (laughs) these guys, they love perfume. They can't get enough of it. Okay. We can move on to the beats. I just didn't want to leave him out. Beatniks like counterculture. We're talking about Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac, who are very like 
very different. Yeah, yeah Kerouac wrote novels and was straight. And yeah, kind pr- of pretty clearly. Yeah, it was kind of also. And when he was not on the road or off on adventures, he lived a very like monastic lifestyle, just staying at his mom's place and writing. He liked cats. Yeah. Was it Kerouac more of a, a loner and had like a, his his relationships all seem sad? I feel on like. The road. But let's talk about Ginsburg. I was I just brought him up because I feel like he was kind of like the Byronic guy of that time. That Kerouac was kind of like a unaccessible guy. That's that's the only reason I mentioned him. But uh, we're mostly talking about Ginsburg because he was more fun. So he wrote Howl. Oh, did you know that he coined the uh, phrase flower power? I did not. He did. Yeah, he was very like anti-war. Um, he was raised. He was a good Jewish boy. <laughs> Did he go to NYU? No. Okay. <laughs> I thought he did. No, Columbia? I forgot. I, I, can, I, I have it. I forgot where he went to school. I was just going to tell you about his like personal Because he, like, he was like super New York City. He grew up in Patterson. I think he grew up in Patterson. In, like the Jersey Shore. <laughs> he was like a Jersey oh, okay. Shore dude. Oh, that's funny. And uh, he was really, he was like a, a Jewish like hippie. Because he has a Kaddish, which is, it's a really sad moving poem about like his mom and his mom passing away. And and uh, that's why I brought up like the, he was this like gay Buddhist hippie, but also has a thread of like Judaism in a lot of his poetry. Oh. He also formed a, or he founded a, a Buddhist institute later in his life, but Howl is the poem that everyone knows, and it was like also seen to be very shocking, and people were like upset about it. <laughs> it was banned in certain, like you know, when uh, James Joyce and like certain books were banned. His Howl was, was like in that list of banned books. This is post-war America in the fifties. Is like, and I think Howl was published in fifty-five, and so Ginsburg. It became famous, but then was like became very political, and so it was very outspoken against the Vietnam War. Was very in favor of civil rights, and he emphasized, I think, gay rights. It was very like also pro drug use. So he, I guess, was giving speeches and leading protests and stuff throughout the '60s. Yes, and he, I think, so a lot of people are upset because part of his like gay rights mo- or way that he was like trying to pro- like spread gay rights and it was that he was like hooking up with a lot of younger boys but like they were consensual like they were all like doing it together i don't know yeah so ginsburg got canceled because of his association with nambla which is a real thing the north american man boy love association which is a pedophilia and pederasty advocacy organization that wants to abolish age of consent laws so ginsburg claimed though that he joined the organization in defense of free speech saying that People just like to, I guess, attack them for what they were saying for their message. But then he has this quote, I'm a member of NAMBLA because I love boys too. Everybody does, who has a little humanity. After that, it was like, that was like the headline. Did I read the first lines of Howl? Yeah, go for it. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix. Angel head hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo in the machinery of night. I mean, come on. That's like probably the best poem that we've read so far. It's like way longer. Yeah. I think Howl's awesome. Yeah, it uses a lot of like 
adjectives you don't expect to describe things that adjectives aren't used for. He says, like, cowering in unshaven rooms in their underwear. Yeah, I, I try to do that when I write poetry. But it did, there is, like, a whole obscenity trial because it's not, I mean, it, it talks about, like, cum and it's, like, miles of balls and stuff like that. But also it talks about capitalism and there's, like, this, people are, like, oh, yeah, that's the real reason that people want, like, said it was obscene is because it, like, tried to expose capitalism. Oh, which I'm like, mm, I don't know. It's pretty graphic, too. Yeah, he has this quote he discovered within himself, in quotes, mountains of homosexuality. Yeah. And he, uh, I guess there was a who's who, was like a famous like publication, I guess, for like writers and poets or whatever. And he listed another man as his spouse, even though gay marriage was not legal at the time, which Ooh. was like very confrontational. Gag. Peter, Peter Orlovsky, his lifelong companion. So he pretty much had a gay marriage before gay marriages were legal and was like very forthright about it. And he was like, well, come for me, whatever. I'll, I'll write a poem about it. I don't care. Yeah. I'll, I don't care. Show me your miles of balls. Yeah. I'll wrap you up. In I'll wrap you. So, uh, also she was not a, uh, a beat poet, but around the same time, Sylvia Plath was writing. You want to hear about Sylvia Plath? Sure. Okay, and then we'll, we'll, or while we're on Ginsburg, we might as well do two other very political poets, and maybe we'll end with Plath, because she has, I think, the one of the prettiest poems. Yeah, oh, yes, you mean Ariel? <laughs> no, because Ariel's kind of dark uh, it's actually, and disturbing. Yeah, it's weird and scary. Uh, Plath has this poem, Cinderella, that's very pretty. Oh. Maybe we'll end with. Real quick, we'll cover, since we talked about Ginsburg and his you know involvement in the civil rights movement, uh, Audre Lorde, who's a, a self-described black lesbian mother warrior poet. Uh, and she was incredibly political. And a lot of her writing is, is about her blackness and homosexuality. She went to Hunter High School and Hunter College. Uh, so she has this poem, Martha. Martha, what did we learn from our brief season when the summer grackles rang in my walls? One and one is too late now. You journey through darkness alone. Leafless, I sit far from my present house and the grackles' voices are dying. We shall love each other here, if ever at all. Oh, I love that. I also heard that she would do spells at lunchtime with her friends. Like they had like a little. Yeah, that sounds. She about just right. sounds like really cool. She actually is like because in her bio, it's like it just remind it reminds me a lot of my mom because it's like she's like witch hedonist like. Yeah, maybe that's just her. what happened. What you become if you grow up in New York City in the in the sixties, uh, and then James Baldwin would be. Very similar figure, uh, but uh, a gay male poet. Um, although actually different in a way because Audre Lorde very much embraced being gay. And James Walden was never like, he never denied it. And he was like gay and had male companions. But he also did not so much make it a part of his identity. James Walden is, what's amazing is like his poetry is very good, but he was like the most well-connected famous person like ever. Wait, so, what? <laughs> Of of like the sixties, he he knew Ever? everybody. He was he, Kevin Bacon. Like he, when a uh, school integration was happening, like he criticized Kennedy, and then Kennedy like sent in like troops to Mobile, Alabama, to like uh, he mobilized troops to Mobile, mobilized troops to Mobile, uh, so that the when they first in integrated the public schools and like white mobs were throwing shit at the the black students who were like going to the integrated high school. George Wallace, the governor, wasn't going to like integrate the schools and refused. And so Kennedy sent in the, at first did nothing and then sent in the National Guard. 
So he was good friends with Malcolm X and also knew Martin Luther King Jr. And he was much more on the side of, I guess, Malcolm X and wanting to push things uh, further rather than negotiate with uh, with moderates. Although King himself was critical of white moderates too. Uh, but he he like met with the president like multiple times and then knew all of these very famous musicians and writers who were all influenced by him. He was like super tight with Nina Simone. That's so cool. I have a I have a little a little like bloop a little bloop. Go for it. In conversations with James Baldwin, he says, everybody's journey is individual. If you fall in love with a boy, you fall in love with a boy. Okay. Oh, I have one more quotation about love by him. Sure. Love takes off the masks we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I have I have a bunch of <laughs> inspirational a lot quotations. Of nice inspirational quotes. <laughs> But I, I actually am interested to read more about him because I didn't know about him until today. And then we'll end with, this is sort of a tragic one to end with. Can I just say that we started with, well, almost, if you count Shakespeare, we started with a poet who wrote, who had like invented the character Ariel and we're ending with a poet. With a has... poet who wrote a great poem called Ariel. Well, one I of think her it's like her famous. collection of poems. There is a poem in it called Ariel. You're looking at it. Yes, I got it. I got it. Plath uses a lot of like feminine and mixed with like kind of violent language to very striking effect. Yeah, because I really like this. I mean, this one was about her committing suicide, but it's about her riding her horse who was named Ariel in like out of the, the dark and into the dawn of like their new life in heaven or wherever she wants to go. So I, I actually really and it's, you know, my name. So I, I really like that poem. Yeah, so she was like chronically depressed throughout her life. She wrote The Bell Jar, but she published it under a pseudonym and it didn't become well-read or famous until after her death. But it's about a woman with chronic depression who gets an internship at a literary magazine in New York City and then later, because her depression is so bad, gets uh, electroconvulsive therapy or what's known as electroshock therapy, which I think sort of worked for her. But she went through like different regimes of like going on antidepressants and off of them. Uh, and overall just had a, a very like depressed, like difficult life. Um, one bright spot, though, when she was 26, she married this very famous British poet named Ted Hughes, who unfortunately was kind of a womanizer. They both wrote poems to each other. They had this very kind of passionate, loving relationship for a couple years. And then a couple years later, Ted Hughes had an affair. She was like totally devastated by it. They separated so he could go be with his new mistress. She took the kids and went and lived by herself and sank into this like deep depression and wrote the absolute best poetry of her career over like the next like three months or so. So she finished this collection while living in this house, uh, I guess in England, that I think Ezra Pound had lived in it before, another famous writer. But it was also a very old house. So it was this super cold winter and the pipes froze. Her two kids were like sick a lot. So she, yeah, one morning in like January, she stuck her head in the oven and turned on the gas. Yikes. And died. You shouldn't do that. It's not good for you. No. So she was 30 years old. I do. I love her poems about how much she hates her family. I those are actually like I like those even more than the one than Ariel. I just love it. It's so good because she's just like the contrast is so good. You know, she's like this pristine morning that she has to herself. And then it's like the way she describes like her terrible children like piercing the solace it's like i love it so much it's so good it's so brave okay so and then ted hughes went on to 
cheat on the woman that the woman he had left Sylvia Plath for, he then cheated on her. And the the first woman he cheated with killed herself as well. So Ted Hughes had two ex wives who committed suicide after he left them. Yikes. He yeah, sucks. Bad track record. Could you imagine being the third woman? I mean, kind of like one of Henry VIII's people. Yeah, yeah, one of Henry VIII's wives. And you're like wife number four. You're like, oh, you start yeah. wearing like high collars. Yeah, so I'll, I'll read you Cinderella. Okay. The prince leans to the girl in scarlet heels. Her green eyes slant, hair flaring in a fan of silver as the rondo slows, now reels, begin on tilted violins to span the whole revolving tall glass palace hall. What a line. Where guests glide sliding into light like wine, rose candles flicker on the lilac wall, reflecting in a million flagons shine. And gilded couples, all in whirling trance, follow holiday revel begun long since. Until near twelve, the strange girl all at once, guilt-stricken, halts, pales, clings to the prince. As amid the hectic music and cocktail talk, she hears the caustic ticking of the clock. I love that. Oh, yeah, Cinderella. Oh, the by the way, the it's morning song. That's the one about. Oh, about her kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Her poetry, especially, I feel it like makes you take a deep breath, or you have to sit down after reading it. That's true. So that's all the poets I had on my list. Is there anybody else you want to dish about? I guess my favorite contemporary uh, gay poet. Is me? Oh. Sorry, never mind. Go ahead. Is uh, Buddy Wakefield. Oh, mine. Okay, can I be, can I steal mine too? <laughs> yeah, sure. He's, he's a phenomenal modern day living poet who teaches live seminars. So you actually can like hang out with him and he's world-class poet. So go read some of his stuff. He's great. Also, Shelton Whimsy has a really great gay poem in the style of Robert Frost. So you can like look him up. It's great. I think writing anything that's like exciting in the style of Robert Frost is like really funny. Did you want to end with reading some of the Tinder parody poems in the style of famous writers? I think so. Can you can you say stuff about us and our review stuff? We'll okay, do I'll I'll do the promo. Leave us a five star review. Why would you not? It's true. I mean, yeah. If you made it this far. Okay, I found it. I found it. Woo! Okay, phew. Two women said they could meet on the same night, and sorry, I could not meet with both. And being single for too long, I looked between the two, deciding who was more likely to put out. I shall tell you this with a sigh. I swiped the woman who seemed more often passed by, and that has made all the difference. Nice. That's the one good that one. That one was was the best of okay. these yeah nice. there's only three and that one was the best because like i said anything in that kind of nature of like in the style of robert frost is worth it all right i think that that wraps it all up and thank you to our editor thank you to our editor danny Phelps. Yeah. thank you to our listeners shout out jeff maki good to see you again yeah now i may have it all wrong see you know what love means Well, well somebody tell me Cause they just don't believe in me You want